You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites. And it's brought to you by the NRMA, who are leading the charge in helping Australians transition to electric vehicles. By rolling out Australia's largest regional fast charging network, along with advocacy and education, the NRMA is making the electric transition more accessible for more people. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of The Driven, along with its associated website, One Step Off the Grid and Renew Economy. And joining me as usual is uh, Daniel Bleakley, the uh, lead reporter for The Driven. Daniel, I, um, I trust you are well. I'm very well, thanks, Giles. Good to, good to be here uh, to break down another interesting week in the EV world. Well, indeed it is, yes. And look, we're going to start off with an interview that um, you did um, earlier this week, which is a fascinating one, about electric buses and driving one a long distance and um, and to what they feel like. And then a lot of news in the week, which we'll discuss in part two of the podcast, um, particularly sort of sales figures in Australia, which look really exciting, but also some interesting transition um, or interesting sort of um, sales data coming out of um, the US and, um, and Europe. So, um Let's get into the first part of the podcast, Daniel. Um, well, we'll just get straight into it. Um, you, you, you talked to Don Emery, I think. Um, um, we got sent this picture. It's funny how these news stories work sometimes. We got sent this picture of this bus charging at an NRMA charging station. People were just going, what the heck is that doing there? And so we actually just tried to find out. And you talked to the guy that was driving the bus. And it was a fascinating story. And you decided to get it done for the podcast. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, someone reached out to us. At, so, someone reached out to us at the Driven uh, with the with the image of the this bus at Gundagai parked next to some EVs um, on the charger, and yeah, we just rang them up and, and got in touch and really enjoyed chatting with uh, with Don. He's super passionate about buses, and um, and I'm sure as you'll hear, um, he's got he's got a lot to to say about it. Let's have a listen to uh, Daniel speaking with um, Don Emery. So today on the Driven Podcast, we have Don Emery, and Don is um, a uh, he's the Australian representative of a Dutch electric vehicle, a Dutch electric bus company called eBusco, and Don's also been involved in the bus industry for over thirty years, uh, and. Don came to our attention a couple of weeks ago when we saw a post on social media about um, someone who was driving a, an electric bus from Melbourne to Sydney and had, had to uh, had to stop and charge at some of the charging stations along the way. So we got in touch with, with Don and, and wrote a bit of a story about it and we thought it'd be great to have him on the podcast. So thanks for, thanks for coming on the Driven Podcast today, Don. Thank you very much for the invite, and uh, you're welcome. Happy to uh, talk and uh, go through what our bus has done and been and where it's going. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it was pretty. It was a pretty interesting uh, post that we saw on the um, on social media. So it was basically a photo of a, a twelve and a half meter electric bus that was plugged into. I think it was an NRMA charger. Um, and it was, and so we, we got in touch with eBusco and they, they put us, um, put us in contact with you. Um, so first of all, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your, your background, um, and your experience in the, in the bus industry? 
Yeah, I've been in buses now for over 30 odd years. Uh, I, I, I've always been, actually, I've been, been in buses since the day I was born, to be honest, because my father and my uncle operated buses in Scotland. I came out to Australia when I was 17. Uh, I worked in the railways in Melbourne for a while, worked my way through the different grades there. Then I, I was uh, lucky enough, I was able to work beside my father, who was a general manager for a bus company in Melbourne, operated by then at that point in time, but one of the grander companies. Uh, they, they offered me a position, um, starting up a company that they uh, purchased and expanded with their own companies uh, called Cardinia Transit. And I worked my way through the through there, started that off. And then since then, I've been in various roles. I've operated my own bus company. Uh, uh, eBusco approached me uh, over 12 months ago uh, to represent them here in Australia. And I was uh, accepting of that position and it was uh, it was a great, huge opportunity because uh, uh, I've said to many people in regards to the electric buses, my father went from petrol buses to diesel buses. And now we're in the stage where we're going from diesel buses to electric buses. So it's quite a quite a change in the bus industry that we're all and in the whole uh, vehicle industry, all automotive industry that we're uh, is upon us at the moment. So electric buses has been a, a big learning curve for myself. It's uh, I've learned a bit. I've not I've never been a mechanic. I've always been in uh, management roles, uh, driven buses where I've had to drive buses, but it's never been my 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 sole position in the, in a company. Uh, but obviously I have done it around Australia and enjoyed it. Uh, but electric buses, as I say, is a whole new new ball game and it's it's quite interesting with the challenges yeah. that we face. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, it's an extremely exciting time for, for all types of, of um, road transport really going going electric and yeah, buses is gonna be a gonna be a big one that's gonna have a huge impact on the way we get around our cities, it's going to um, reduce a lot of the, the pollution that's in our cities, um, reduce a lot of the noise as well. So there's just going to be so many benefits. And I want to, um, I really want to dig deep into some of those benefits a bit later on. But um, but before we do that, uh, can you tell us a bit more about eBusco? So it's it's been around for about 10 years. It started in the Netherlands. Can you tell us um, a bit about the company, um, what kind of buses they they make, and and the growth of the of the company over the last few years. Yeah, the Ebusco, as you say, they're based in Holland, and a, a, a town called Doorna in Holland, which is about an hour, an hour and a, just over an hour by train south of Amsterdam. They sold the first bus just over ten years ago, <clears throat> and in that period of time, they've, they've been selling buses predominantly in uh, Europe throughout Europe. They've expanded their, their footprint there quite dramatically over the last 18 months or so, where they've now got order bank of uh, about 1,600 buses. So they've recently introduced uh, what's called the Busco 3, uh, which is the next generation model of the bus that we have out here in Australia, and it's got carbon fibre body on it. Uh, so it makes it much lighter. The, the batteries of the bus are under floor, so you can have a, a a low floor bus uh, from the front of the bus all the way back. It's the same height floor and it's very, very low, uh, which is ideal for the disability and uh, those with handicaps. It makes it easy access to the bus much easier. They also now build a, an articulated bus uh, based around the Abasco 3, uh, which can carry over 100 passengers in Europe. Uh, they've 
expanded into a number of different countries in Europe. Uh, they've got buses, that obviously, in Holland being their base, Germany, uh, Sweden. Uh, they're linked to Norway. They also have an office in uh, the, the US and America. So they're looking to expand into that marketplace as well. So it, it's, it's an exciting time. They're a young company, uh, but they've got a very, very good product. It's very, very uh, well recognized within Europe itself already for a company that's only been around 10 years. Other uh, operators and uh, suppliers are obviously taking notice and recognizing the hard work that's been put in to produce such a good quality vehicle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fantastic. And yeah, Australia, um, I wanted to dig, dig into that a bit further to see how, how much further ahead some of these European cities are than, than Australian cities. And um, I'll just mention that Australia Australia's a real uh, laggard when it comes to electric buses. And in April, the Australia Institute, which is a think tank um, based, based in Canberra, released a report showing that there are just 200 electric buses in Australia, which makes up just 0.2% of Australia's 100,000 um, buses across across the country. Um, for comparison, I was just reading uh, in 2022 in China, uh, 138,000 electric buses were sold in 2022 alone, meaning that almost 700 times more electric buses sold in China in 2022 compared to the entire Australian fleet of electric buses. <laughs> yeah. So, I wanted to ask why is Australia such a laggard when it comes to electric buses and, and, and what are some of the economic benefits for for operators? Well, why we're so behind the rest of the world, I suppose you'd have to ask the government some of it. I can, I can give my own point of view, but the, as you've just indicated, the number of electric buses that's been built in China alone, uh, far out numbers the number of buses that we've got here in Australia. A lot of the governments here in Australia want to trial this new technology uh, of electric buses, they want to, they want them to prove that it works, and they want to prove that it's uh, it's going to survive in Australian road conditions. Uh, a lot of these tests obviously have already been done overseas, uh, and the buses are operating perfectly well uh, overseas. Some of the challenges that I get faced with here, and I discuss it with my colleagues back in uh, Holland. They're amazed that we're even discussing some things that we do discuss. <laughs> uh, each government in Australia, uh, and we talk state governments, are really, uh, they're taking an individual approach. A lot of them have all said the, right, the good things, say right from 2025, uh, bus operators must buy new electric vehicles or zero emission vehicles it could be hydrogen could be alternative to electric uh, but they haven't said when in 2025 so it could be the 31st of december 2025 uh, so does that, does that sorry does that does that mean that state governments are still purchasing diesel buses today yes today they are yes yes every day government in australia at this point in time are purchasing diesel buses predominantly for the operator those that have public uh, contracts, those operators with contracts with the governments at the moment, we've been buying diesel buses. Tasmania just this past week announced uh, trials of uh, two hydrogen buses and three electric buses, but they haven't made any announcement as to when they'll buy uh, zero emission buses uh, in the future. 
New South Wales and uh, Victoria have made announcements about uh, zero emission buses, but again, it's they've said from 2025, but no, nobody knows when uh, in 2025. It could be the 31st mm. of uh, December. Until such time, uh, those that have uh, con contracts with the governments are purchasing uh, diesel buses. The, the, the diesel buses in the route service operations so around town, I think, other countries around the world have proven that the technology exists and uh, the buses we have here in Australia are going to survive and do the, the work that is required of them. When you start talking what I did with the bus from Melbourne to Sydney, that's a different ballpark altogether because you've got, you're traveling such a large distance. Uh, in Europe, for example, there are, the, the infrastructure is there so the bus can stop easily without worrying as we do today with our cars or with diesel vehicles uh, we can drive along and we think okay well i need petrol or i need diesel or i need fuel within the next 20 30 40 so many kilometers and you know perfectly well you'll come across a petrol station so you're okay at the moment you've really got to plan the trip well in advance and even to the point in the bus i brought up from melbourne i drove the, the trip by car before i took the, uh, before i brought the bus up so i could scout out the areas where I was going to charge the bus, hmm. uh, which I'd identified before I left Melbourne, but I wanted to make sure I could get the bus into those areas. And even then, when I brought the bus up, some of the things that I didn't account for was the cable that goes from the charging site station that you plug into the vehicle. The length of that vehicle, and at one location, I, I was uh, a wee bit panicky because I thought, okay, well, the cable, cable doesn't reach to the bus. How am I going to overcome this? But I found a way to overcome it. But, wow. Uh, yeah, just to just to be uh, just to make it clear for our listeners, so you, so you drove um, the bus that you drove up from Melbourne to Sydney is it's actually a demo bus uh, that would be intended for metro services um, like bus city bus routes basically, and it's not it, it wouldn't be intended for like long haul bus uh, no. bus trips, but but you are basically just moving it, and and as a result, you you also. Got some. Uh, got to do some research on the on the network. Yeah, exactly. And it's it, you're right. The, the vehicle we've got here in Australia is called the Abasco 2.2, and it's built for city work. So it's the buses that you see around metropolitan areas, taking you up from shopping centres to railway stations and so on and so forth. It's not the type of bus that would take you on a tour uh, around Australia or interstate. Uh, but what the the trip highlighted to me was, as I just touched upon, was the infrastructure at each place where I, I charged the bus. It's all built around uh, cars, and there was no, none of the, the charging locations that I identified and I uh, uh, looked into on the way when I drove up by car, or those ones that I, uh, I took the bus to to charge, have had any consideration towards heavy vehicles. Mm -hmm. so, uh, and it, whilst it's not going to be a, a huge concern for me and my little bus, only because I'd move it in between cities, it will be probably a bit of a concern for the trucking industry because they're going to go down the same path as the, the bus industry, where it's going to be, uh, and their work is moving from city to city. So it's, mm. it's, it's going to be an issue that needs to be addressed, where the infrastructure, the, the infrastructure is there for cars, not great, I don't think, going from what people have told me in between when I was charging the bus. Uh, but for trucks, certainly nothing. For heavy vehicles, especially the trucks and heavy buses, same 
thing, heavy vehicles. There's nothing there for heavy vehicles. So we're inter interfering those with those that want to charge the cars doing what we're doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely something I think governments need to need to start looking at because um, I think with the electric vehicle uh, uptake, I think state governments and federal government ha have, have really underestimated the speed at which uh, electric vehicles are um, are growing in Australia and the network uh, just hasn't been able to catch up yet. And I think th that's gonna, as you say, that's gonna happen for the busing industry and also for the trucking industry. So it's really vital that governments uh, start to, to, to anticipate the growth in that. Um, but just, just sticking with infrastructure um, a bit for, for a bit. So this, uh, this bus, this 12.5 meter um, uh, metro service bus. So basically, uh, I, I think you, you mentioned that it's, it's got a 350 kilometer range on the highway, but, but in city traffic with regen braking, it'll do 450 kilometers. Now, I think you mentioned to me that that's enough to do an entire shift um in in a, in a metro kind of service um can you can you give us or paint a bit of a picture of, of what european cities what what do their what, what what do their bus depots look like what does their their daily um work look like and tell us what the actual bus drivers think of these buses and 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 and, and uh, yeah do they enjoy operating them do they enjoy driving them etc yeah, the, the, the drivers certainly enjoy driving the bus because driving the, the electric bus as opposed to a diesel bus is completely different. You can get out of the bus and you feel quite refreshed, isn't the correct word, but you don't feel fatigued in any way, shape or form. Uh, and that's the feedback that I've received from uh, colleagues in Europe as well in regards to what driver's feedback has been over there. Uh, just for this, I'll touch on, I've been to various bus depots here in Australia with the bus that we have here uh, and the feedback I've had from drivers there again, uh, although they've not been using the bus in service at this point in time, but they have been taking it around, driving it for a period of time, taking over some of the routes to see how it performed. Uh, they have also commented that they, they come out and they're not tired, they're not fatigued, they feel quite refreshed because it's uh, it's a... Uh, comfortable bus to drive and other electric vehicles that I've seen in, the, in Australia are the same thing. The infrastructure uh, in Europe, and I'm going but from feedback, I haven't witnessed it myself. Uh, I haven't driven the roads uh, that they've gone over, but I, I will be later this year. Uh, the infrastructure is there already for heavy vehicles. Uh, Ibasco themselves took a bus from Durna and they traveled over 600 kilometers in Europe recently. They were able to do that on one charge for that particular vehicle. That was the Abasco 3.0, which has a carbon fiber body and uh, it's, it's much lighter. But they were also able to do it in the knowledge that if they needed to stop and charge the vehicle, uh, as it was getting, I mean, at that, the reason they did the 600 kilometers is they were doing it for a, a, a bit of a test. They wanted to trial a few things out as well. They're also delivering it to a customer in Germany. Uh, but you could do it with the knowledge that if they got so far and they thought, well, we're going to have to stop and start charging this bus, they knew the infrastructure was there in which they could do that. It's much the same as what we can do, like I said before, with a diesel bus or an electric, a petrol car. If we're getting down to a quarter of a tank, we know we can stop fairly quickly 
uh, in a, sh a short period of time and we'll be able to fuel the vehicle. So they have the infrastructure in place in Europe at the moment. Each country is different, I think, from what I'm told. Uh, I was in Scotland last year. Uh, and again, they've got infrastructure in place, but as to what level, I'm not sure. But given the number of vehicles that they've got running around, I'd be surprised if the infrastructure is not to a higher level than what we've got here in Australia. So that's that's like the your intercity charging infrastructure. Um, what about the? And I understand you you haven't been over there, but you you probably got a fair idea. What about the actual bus depot infrastructure? Would it be that these buses that are operating um, on particular um, or particular operators are are running, they would come in for the shift. They they'd unplug the bus. They they'd do their route. Come come back to the bus depot and plug it in. Um, to be charged for the next next shift. Is that basically how it's working? A, a lot of it works that way. Uh, some de they also have put pantograph charging so they don't have to uh, plug it in to charge it. We can do pantograph charging at some depots. A, a lot of it depends on the, the, the layout of the depot, the space that they've got at the depot. Uh, but certainly that was a, and, and that's a, a challenge that we'll face here in Australia too is the depots have to be redesigned to allow for the chargers to be placed in the bus depot so mm -hmm. you can have a smooth movement of the vehicle from coming in at the end of the shift, charging up and moving on again. Uh, so that, that that's a management, uh, bit of a management nightmare within itself, actually, given because you're going to have to bring buses in at different times, so on and so forth. Mm. Yeah, because I, I actually, um, I used to live in Melbourne, in North... Um, North Melbourne, not far from one of the major bus depots. And I tell you what, you could smell the depot. You could smell the, the diesel exhaust because of the higher concentration of, of buses in the area. And I remember even our um, the apartment had kind of black soot that would build up on the on the window sills. Now we were next to a, a major, uh, quite a major road as well, not far from a major road, but I've, I've got a feeling that a lot of the, the soot would be coming from um from that bus depot so i think like another thing w was interested in is you know unfortunately bus drivers are kind of exposed to uh, probably higher rates of diesel exhaust pollution than than others are are um a lot of bus drivers keen to keen to transition from a from a health point of view i missed a bit of that sorry dan because I, I i lost you uh, i couldn't hear you so i'm sorry i missed that question yeah, no worries. Well, yeah, I was just saying that I used to live north, um, north of the river in, in Melbourne, not far from a bus depot, and you could actually smell the a lot of the diesel exhaust from from the higher concentration of, of diesel buses in the area, and you could actually see the soot on the windowsill of the apartment and and the build up kind of on the balcony, etc. And I'm assuming that like bus drive diesel bus drivers that drive diesel buses are actually being exposed to a lot more diesel particulate pollution than 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 your average um, average citizen is there is there concern from bus drivers themselves bus driver unions um, etc that uh, there's also uh, you know that the health benefits that come with transitioning to electric buses I haven't heard anything in regards to that uh, certainly there's a uh, working within bus depots you do notice the diesel fumes uh, and you do notice what, what's left behind from uh, diesel engines and whatnot. Uh, th but I haven't heard from it, I haven't heard any comments within the bus industry from unions or anything like that in regards to that, that point. Mm -hmm. 
And the um, just one more question on the infrastructure at bus depots. Um, who, so who's? I guess that's it's different for each state, but the operator it's it's kind of their responsibility to to figure out how to 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 install the infrastructure and to to get these um, routes happening. It is, and and again, where we are in Australia at the moment, as mentioned before, that each state's running to separate trials and various trials. Part of those various trials has been the infrastructure. Uh, so they've gone with a, the government's gone with a two-pronged approach, but they've also left it up to the operator as to which uh, service provider they go with in regards to the infrastructure. There's a very large uh, bus company here in Melbourne just changed over one of their depots uh, to 100% electric, uh, but it was quite a large undertaking just to take to fulfil what they did for that particular depot. Uh, and it's, it's, guess, not, it's not just a matter of putting in the, the, the chargers. You've then got to find substations and the, the, get the, the charge to those chargers as well. So there's, mm. there's, a lot, there's a lot that goes on in the background. So it's, and those are things that need to be addressed now, today, uh, if we're going to be in a position in 2025 where people are buying electric buses and that's all they're buying. Yeah, and I guess that that first those first projects that that these operators do, they they're just going to learn so much in, in how to how to set yeah. these um, set these depots up. I, I guess. Um, yeah. So um, wanted to ask as well, just about what what kind of feedback have you had on the demo model? Um, I think you mentioned that it's uh, it's the only right hand drive model that Ebusco has built. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I want to want to find out what kind of feedback you've had over the, the past few weeks. It, it it's been very positive and very good. The uh, it is Ebusco's only right-hand drive bus in existence, and they built it specifically for Australia. Uh, they recognised that there's a Australia. We're saying the right things. We're moving in the right direction. Maybe at a snail's pace, but we are moving there, uh, and they can recognise that there's going to be a need for these buses. It's, uh, the, 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 the feedback from uh, operators, uh, and I've had it to a number of operators in Victoria, and now it's uh, up in Sydney, and it's going to a number of operators up there, has all been very positive. And I, I always encourage uh, operators to give me as much negative feedback as positive feedback, because mm -hmm. negative feedback can sometimes be far better than positive feedback. You learn a lot more. Uh, but yeah. as I said earlier, the, the, the drivers that have driven it have all commented uh, how smooth it is to drive. They, they come away from it feeling, not refreshed isn't the right word, but they don't come away from it feeling fatigued. It's not noisy, certainly not noisy, uh, which is always a, an issue for driving a diesel bus. Uh, I've seen drivers in the past when it's been front-engine diesel bus and trying to die with, drive the bus with... Uh, earmuffs on because it's so noisy wow uh, and as you it's say, a lack there, of vibration as well well there's a lack of vibration there, there's, there's a, a, such a vast difference the braking on the vehicle as well i mean you, if you drive the vehicle correctly and uh, use it for regeneration etc you hardly touch a brake pedal you, the vehicle will do all the work for you uh, the power steering on the vehicle is very very light uh, and it's the I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the Abasco bus here, obviously, but the, the driver's cabin has been designed specifically and is a very, very comfortable uh, driver's cabin. I'll call it the driver's office. It's when I talk to bus drivers, that's their office. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. It's a very well set out and organized office. And it, it's uh, certainly, it's, when I, I've driven buses from Melbourne to Sydney in the past, and Sydney to Melbourne, with passengers and without, and I've always got to my destination feeling fairly tired. Uh, but when I got to Sydney with this one, I got out the bus thinking, yeah, I feel quite happy. I, I'm, I'm not tired at all. Interesting. So it, 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 there's lots of advantages in regards to that, as I say. You take those things and you move it forward to the maintenance of the vehicle, where the brake life of the vehicle is going to last so much longer than what the, our present vehicles do. The, uh, the steering, tires, everything is so much. The vehicle might be a little bit more expensive to purchase initially, but over the life of the vehicle, you have a saving. So if a diesel bus costs you $1,000, for example, to buy and uh, operate for 20 odd years, the electric bus is probably going to cost you $900 to buy and operate. As an mm -hmm. example, obviously they're silly numbers, but as an example, you, there are going to be savings there over the life of the vehicle. So it'd be probably less than less than ten percent, or more than ten percent saving. Sorry, than yes. the diesel bus. And I guess then you've got to take into consideration as well the electricity cost, and, and potentially we'll see drops in electricity prices as renewables pick up. As yeah, well. exactly. Um, yes. So, and we don't have to pump all the oils that we put into a, an electric bus that goes into a diesel bus. We don't have to put it into an electric bus each time it gets serviced. There's yeah. Uh, and then there's a disposal of those oils, so you're saving there. Same as uh, diesel, we're not producing diesel to go onto these vehicles. So that there's certainly, environmentally wise, huge, huge savings. Yeah, I guess the the only losers out of the transition are going to be uh, um, the, whoever has the, the diesel contracts for the current system. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, at the same time as well, so there'll still be diesel vehicles floating around for quite some number of years. Because mm. uh, we're we're selling new diesel diesel vehicles at least up until 2025 in regards to buses. I don't know what it is going to be for trucks, but in regards to buses, we're still selling at least until 2025. And those vehicles are going to have a life of uh, 20 years, maybe more. So there's still going to be a role to play there for somebody that's uh, maybe not as big, but there'll still be a role to play. Yep. Um, we probably should wrap it up pretty soon, but I just got got maybe one more question. Just on um, which which states are are leading? You touched on it a bit before, but I, I understand that the ACT um, has recently uh, ordered is it ninety electric buses? Yes, they they've just awarded a tender recently for ninety electric buses for a company called Yutong, which is a, a Chinese built uh, vehicle. Uh, Yutong are represented in Australia. Uh, they're represented by a company called VDI, uh, and they're going to bring the vehicle into Australia, not complete, uh, but in a position where they can complete the vehicle in Australia, thus providing jobs to the Australian marketplace uh, and providing local content onto those vehicles. So that's a very large order, uh, which uh, Canberra uh, ACT has awarded. Is that a um, is that one of the largest orders of electric buses in Australia today? Yes, say? yes, it would be. It would be the, the largest in the Australia largest. at this point. Yeah. yeah, and I guess it would also being in the ACT with a lower population, it 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 would probably be by far the largest proportion of, of bus fleet as well. Uh, I don't think it's the largest. Oh, if you go by proportion of uh, population, perhaps yes. See, 
Sydney's got over eight thousand buses, I think. Oh uh, yeah, I just, I just sorry, I just meant like the the um, how many roughly how many buses would be in the ACT all up, and and this is a pretty big chunk of that going uh, electric. This is practically their whole fleet. Oh wow. Yeah, I don't think there's too many diesel buses left after this. Uh, I'm not wow. sure the exact number, but I don't think there'll be too many diesel buses left. They're, they're replacing older vehicles that they've had there for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, I think there'll be, uh, by the time it's all replaced, uh, I think three quarters of the fleet will be electric. Incredible. Amazing. New South um, Wales certainly got a number of uh, electric buses in operation at the moment. Uh, there's a there's a bodybuilder in New South Wales called Customs Denning that build buses there, uh, and they're building electric buses in in Sydney. There's a number of uh, buses there already, but at this stage there, there's no. They they have again New South Wales have said from 2025, uh, I think it might be extended to 2030, but there'll be the operator must buy a electric or zero emission buses. Mm -hmm. uh, Victoria, they've said from 2025 it must be zero emission buses uh, and there's a, uh, a bus bodybuilder here in Victoria called Volgren that build buses as well. Uh, Queensland are going to release something later this year I believe. At this point they're sort of in trials, there's nothing in concrete there. South Australia, West Australia, they're the same, they're, there's nothing in concrete. Uh, Western Australia are trialling uh, some zero emission buses. Some I think they've got about six uh, electric buses in Perth at the moment. Might be more. Tasmania's just announced it this week. So mm -hmm. there's nothing. That, all, all the states are talking about it to degree, but at this stage, there's nothing really in. Nothing yeah, to the, yeah. that, the, the extent of what ACT has done. Yeah. Okay. So ACT is really kind of leading the leading the charge yeah. at, at this stage. Yeah. Great. Um, well, um, we might uh, we might wrap it up there, Don. It's been been fascinating to to chat to you about electric buses. Um, I've certainly I certainly developed an interest in electric buses since we spoke last a couple of weeks ago. I think it's yep. a fascinating area of electrification that's going to have a huge benefit to to so many people, so many commuters um, in in our cities, to to just everyday citizens who. Will have cleaner, cleaner air, as well as um, as well as bus drivers who, who have to operate these um, these vehicles every day. So I say, you know, bring it on, faster the better, and and hopefully, um, state governments um, can really get get uh, get around this and and get moving on it, such as the ACT has uh, has done. But um, for people listening, uh, and the, you know, there might be some people in in state governments or particular bus operators that are that are listening to this podcast today. Today, um, your demo bus is in Sydney at the moment. Um, if if there's anyone listening who'd like to get in touch or to come and check out the bus, what's the best way to to contact? Do you have a, an email address? Uh, sorry, a um, a website that they could reach out to. Yeah, there, we, we have an, a website, ebusco.com.au, www.ebusco.com.au. There's contact link on there. Uh, happy if, if they contact you, they can get my details through yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, happy for that to happen as well. Uh, but the bus is certainly, it's in Sydney now. It'll be there for uh, uh, up until probably the end of August. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we'll probably take it up to Queensland after that. 
only for a few weeks, and then I'll come back to Sydney, and then hopefully I'll be giving it to operators so they can run it in live trials, put it into operation on the services. So we, we again, we can get some feedback from that. Fantastic. Great. Well, th- thanks again for, for joining us on the Driven Podcast today, Don. And um, yeah, we might have to catch up with you again in, in 12 months to see how it's all going. No, you're very, very welcome. If there's uh, any questions, or just reach out. You've got my number. I'm happy to help. No worries. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you. And that was um, Don Emery um, speaking with uh, Daniel earlier this week. Um, of course, Australia has a lot way to go to catch up with um, other countries when it comes to electric buses. And I see that we're still trialling some hydrogen buses down in Tasmania this week. I'm not too sure whether that's the greatest and smartest idea. Um, in fact, we seem to be trialling, trialling, trialling um, with other countries just actually just doing yeah, that's right. I don't know why we, we keep trialling these electric buses when we know that they're they're in operation in cities around the world. Uh, in the lead up to the podcast, I, I, I um, did a little bit of research and found out that, yeah, in, in 2022 in China, they've, they've produced something like 138,000 electric buses just in 2022 alone. So this isn't like any kind of new technology anymore. It's, it's well established and um, it's about time that... Uh, that the Australian states just got on got on with implementing it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, look, we'll just come back in a minute and talk about the rest of the news in the week. Driven podcast. My name is Giles Parkins, and I'm talking with lead reporter from the Driven, Daniel Bleakley. Daniel, some interesting stuff coming out in the data for June: record 8.8% sales in Australia for EVs. Tesla Model Y, second best-selling car, um, behind only the Toyota Hilux Ute. Um, it seems that the walls are crumbling in Australia, and we've had in the last couple of weeks three cars now. The um, um, I'm just trying to think of them now. <laughs> the, the BYD Dolphin, the uh, MG4, and now the key, uh, the Aura Cat, or the Aura as I think it's known here, um, all priced under 40000 So you, uh, before on road. So you can imagine that the um, and the Model 3 and the Model Y have both come down below, well, the Model 3 has come down below 60000 another 10% cut. So prices are falling, demand is going to increase. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the the 8.8 figure this month, it's up, I think last month was 7.7%. So it's up a percent month on month, which is, which is quite, quite a lot, really. I mean, if that, if they, if if it kept growing at that rate, you know, we'd probably be getting close to 15% by by the end of the year. Um, And yeah, incredible to see the the Model Y take out the second spot. Um, It's actually, T- taken over the the uh, the Ford Ranger, so so it seemed it seemed like it was virtually impossible to dislodge the Ford Ranger or the Toyota Hilux, and and finally we have a an electric vehicle in in number two in sales in Australia. Yeah, when you think about it, it's actually really quite significant. Um, it's um, and look, um, uh, Riz Actor, um, as well data nerd, uh, broke down some of the other data as well and points out there's been pretty good months in Australia, albeit on a smaller level, but good months for other cars. You know, the Kia for its EV6, the Polestar for its Polestar 2. Both those cars have been out for at least a year or so. They're really interesting. Um, 
plus um, Porsche Taycan um, had a big month. Um, so I don't know whether people are finding end of year financial deals or some some sort of tax tax thingy. Um, it'll be interesting to know. But um, interesting things happening overseas though. Um, GM, Volkswagen, Toyota. Well, we'll come to Toyota in a minute. But both those companies suffering big falls in their EV sales over the last month, which means even though they profess to be slightly interested in EVs, their customers don't seem to be interested in what they're offering. That's right. This is a this is a big problem, for, I think, for, for GM and, and Volkswagen. First of all, GM sales, uh, electric vehicle sales, I think the, the last quarter they sold around 15,000 EVs and that's down from 20,000 in Q1 this year. So they've actually had a 25% drop in their electric vehicle sales um, quarter on quarter. And this is really concerning because uh, EV, uh, you know, we'd, we'd heard that uh, the GM was, was gonna be leading on EVs. Now we know that's that they're a long way behind Tesla, but um, we, we, we know, we, we've heard the, the President of the United States say that, that GM's leading and, and, and whatnot, but that just doesn't seem to be, to be happening. And we're hearing a similar story in Germany with, with Volkswagen uh, cancelling a number of uh, shifts at, at, its, at one of its factories producing EVs. Uh, so they're scaling back their, their production of their, their EVs and, their, um, and then they're not getting the demand that they'd originally anticipated. Uh, so yeah, there's quite a contrast that's playing out now between the, the big electric vehicle companies like Tesla and BYD who both broke their sales records last quarter when, in the recent numbers. And then we're seeing a lot of the legacy companies going in the opposite direction. And one of the most um, infamous legacy companies, at least when it comes down to the EV transition, is um, Toyota. Now, we've written and talked a lot about their um, inability to embrace EVs, but they're still talking the talk <laughs> in the sense that they they keep on talking about solid-state batteries. But I think you wrote, you wrote an article that they've been talking about solid-state batteries since about 2007 and saying they're just around the corner. And um, it would seem that they're... Still just around the corner. Um, what's this about, Daniel? Is this just trying to sort of pretend that they're doing something? Um, is it part of a master strategy? Are solid battery stores, batteries, solid state batteries just around the corner? Yeah, well, there's a common thread here between the claims Toyota's been making around batteries and the claims that they make around hydrogen fuel cells. And that is that they always seem to be around the corner but they they never seem to arrive and got a um shout out to ketan joshi for doing a bit of digging and 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 pulling out those those articles from back in 2009 was the earliest one i think when uh when toyota was claiming a, a battery breakthrough was just around the corner and that's 14 years ago um and you know to toyota produced 8,000 evs in in the last uh in the last half of half year at the same time you know t i think tesla's producing 110 electric vehicles for every single electric vehicle that toyota produces so yeah it's it's um it's quite interesting that uh they continue to 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 put out these press releases saying that they're, they're making these breakthroughs but but we're not actually seeing it we're not actually seeing the vehicles come through um and we heard similar comments 
that, that came out last week from the um, from their general meeting that was held recently, where it's 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 a similar uh, similar narrative where executives are saying they love EVs but they want to stick with this diversified approach to to drivetrains. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much longer they can continue that. Well, and unfortunately, um, you won't be with driven much longer um, to um, write about the chronicle, the, um, the the failings and the experiences of Toyota, because um, you're leaving us after just six months. It's terribly sad, but um, you've got a, um, a much more interesting and um, quite possibly much higher pay. I don't know, but um, job in in the political world. I don't think you're quite ready to tell us exactly who that's with or where that's with. I mean, it could well be with the. Um, with the Nationals MPs um, advising on their energy strategy, but I fancy it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> what are you up to, Daniel? So, yeah, I'm very, very sad to say that I've, I'm finishing up with The Driven this week after what's been an amazing six months. Um, I am going into the political world. Um, I'm, I'm not working for the Nationals, so we can rule that out. Um, <laughs> but I will be working in the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I will be I will be working in the climate and energy space um, where, where you know hopefully I'll I'll get the chance to to help um, push for for more um, sort of st- stronger policies uh, for Australia on on uh, climate and energy and, and electric vehicles as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's been an incredible six months of um, working with the Driven. I've I've learnt so much and i want to thank you for being such a an amazing mentor as well and correcting all my grammatical errors and (laughs) and whatnot over the last six months and you know i kind of went from not writing at all and um and 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 got to the stage where i was able to confidently write articles each day and i want to thank you for for um helping teach me how to how to do that well, it's been great having you aboard. Your enthusiasm and your passion and your knowledge and um, your abilities to convey that to readers um, has been obvious because the um, circulation or sort of readership has jumped significantly. So, um, so we thank you for being with us, and I'm very sorry to see you leave so soon. But look, um, it's an important role that you're taking up now, and um, as, um, as uh, you know, in, in this week where for two consecutive days we've had the hottest days ever recorded in the planet, um, uh, you know, and that's even before the El Nino has really taken big effect. Um, you know, it's really more important than ever to sort of accelerate this transition um, to get to 1.5 degrees. I mean, Chris Bowen, the Federal Labor Minister, I mean, good for him for saying so, just sort of saying, well, if it's not for 1.5 degrees, then what are we here for? Well, I think it's time to hold the Labor Party to account. So hopefully in your new role, you're able to do that. Look, Daniel, um, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for your interview today with Don Emery. Um, thanks for all the work that you've done over the last six months. Thanks to all the listeners out there. And thanks to NRMA for being a sponsor or being the sponsor for this podcast series. And uh, we'll be back in a fortnight with another interview as part of the Driven Podcast. And please have a look out too for our other podcasts, Energy Insiders, uh, Solar Insiders, and a brand new electrification podcast that's going to be starting up very, very soon. Bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by the NRMA, who are leading the charge in helping Australians transition to electric vehicles. The NRMA offers advice, online communities and EV loans to help drivers at every stage of their electric vehicle journey. And with their ever-expanding regional fast charging network, the NRMA is committed to ensuring all communities remain connected.